I'm Jeff Cohen. So many of us are struggling to regain a sense of normalcy amid what's going on in Israel. So I thought today's guest, Amy Muscaplatt, might be just what we need in times of unbelievable stress. She runs Joy Festival Industries, an organization that, among other things, helps people raise their joy quotient. She also found her way to Orthodox Judaism through a long, winding road, and she's here today to share her story. Amy, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. And this is going to be quite the contrast. I should say to our listeners, we're recording this episode, you know, a week or so after all the terrible tragedies started developing in Israel. And then when I came across your story and saw Joy Festival Industries, I said, you know what? We can all be worried and stressed and nervous about what's going on, but we also need to remember the other side in life too. And I think you're going to be able to spread a little bit of that today. So I'm pretty excited to have you here. Thank you. As with all of our guests, we like to begin with setting some context of where your story starts. So can you just share you know, where you were born and raised and where your journey begins? So I was born in Minnesota and um, mostly raised there a few years on the East Coast when my father was doing a postdoctorate fellowship. I was a little kid and my sister was born out there, but was raised in a suburb of Minneapolis and went through public school there and Hebrew school and religious school and all of that, and then even went to college in St. Paul before going on to graduate school and other schooling elsewhere. Can you take us inside your family, religious-wise, of what you were doing in terms of Judaism as a kid? So my family belonged to a reform synagogue, and they were pretty active in that. My mother taught religious school. Um, my parents founded a synagogue, um, a reform synagogue even, and... Um, we went to religious school and Hebrew school. My grandparents were conservative, and my dad had a sister who had become Orthodox, who had been Balichuva. And I had a fairly large family, and two generations of brothers and sisters had married each other, so there were double cousins on both sides. So all the family gatherings for Jewish holidays and other simchas were large. We were very involved. We went to overnight Jewish youth group programs and USY and BBG for a little while and um, went away to summer camp to Jewish summer camps in Wisconsin and before that Jewish day camps and you know everything's on a lake because it's in Minnesota or parts of Wisconsin so that was sort of the upbringing with that. We did have family in Israel as well. You just mentioned that uh, there was a Balshuva in your family so did you at a young age understand Orthodox Judaism versus what your family was doing? I understood it was different but I didn't understand so much more than that. And mine started later in my life. It wasn't when I was very young. It was when I was in upper elementary school, middle school. So, you know, you just have less time after school and on the weekend to spend with family when you've got more homework and what have you. So I didn't understand all of what it entailed. You mentioned going to public school, which is the same thing that I did. And one of my earliest memories was that even though many of the kids were Jewish, when Christmas time came, we still had to do like Christmas cards and decorate the room for Christmas. And there might be like one Jewish star in the corner. And I always thought it was so strange when like there were really like so many Jewish people in our class. Did you have any experience like that compared to what I was dealing with? We did have a lot of other Jewish kids, but they still would do the same thing as at your school. I have a very strong memory of when they would do a Christmas craft, my mother calling up the school and being like, my daughter needs an alternative art project. 
we're not Christian. My daughter needs an alternative art project. You have to find something for her to make instead. And at that time, my memory was, oh my goodness gracious, she's embarrassing me. Like, how come the kids with the last names Rosenberg and Rosenbaum and Cohen, their parents aren't calling? But, you know, I really didn't know if they were calling or not. But then I'd get put at a different table when they'd make the craft. And basically, it was a similar craft, but it had blue and white instead of yellow and green and red and things like that. And I also remember they do Kris Kringle, and I had no idea who that was and what that was about. And I distinctly remember being different and not exactly understanding all of that. So you also talked about going to Hebrew school and, and some Jewish summer camps. And I'm thinking back to my friends who, who went through similar experiences. Some of them loved it, and some of them felt like their parents were like making them go, and they weren't into it. And the moment they had their bar bat mitzvah, they were going to be done. So where were you on that spectrum of loving what you were being exposed to versus feeling like your parents were making you do this stuff? Well, I didn't like summer camp, but it had less to do with the actual Jewish part and just more to do with it wasn't my crowd. The, the kids weren't exactly my crowd. But I really liked Hebrew school. And I liked religious school and even the extended through high school programs. I liked USY. And the part I liked about the summer camp I went to is we would daven overlooking a lake. And then I was a youth group leader for a Jewish youth group. And I was always sort of interested in finding out more. I mean, even when I was really young, my parents tell a story that I was very into when I was really young. Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? What's God all about? And a lot of kids go through that stage. And my mother got me books and tried to explain it. I think I must have bugged them an awful lot because at one point I kept pestering, where's God? Where's God? And my father looked at me and said, he's down at Carvel's. Now leave me alone. I mean, they did answer better after that, but I think it was sort of, I was being a little bit of a nudnik. And then I just kept up with it as I got older and just kept asking those questions. So advancing the story now, well, let's think about the high school into college years. Did you have a sense in those late teen years where you wanted to go to school, what you wanted to study, what you might want to do career-wise? Like, where were you at at that stage of your life? Well, in high school, for some reason, our public school had a lot of electives. And there were electives including things like world religions. Now, it was very surface. It was very basic. But I took that, and I think there was maybe a part one and a part two. And I took those and was fascinated. Like, what makes other people, how do other people answer that question of what is the divine? And then how does that compare to how I answer it and what I know? And I thought at some point that I wanted to go to college and major in international relations. I'm not really sure where that exactly came from. My father did travel a lot when I was growing up for work and some consulting as well. But I was interested, and I thought that. But as soon as I got to college, I took a um, like an introduction to religion class, and I was hooked. I thought that was so interesting. And it had piggybacked on everything I'd already been interested in, both in learning about my own Judaism and in other religions. So um, it was still the same question of how do we make the sacred from the profane? How do we differentiate that? At least that was the academic part of me that was asking that, you know. So where did you go to college? And did this interest in religion become your actual major after a year or so? 
Yeah, so I went to a small liberal arts school in St. Paul, Minnesota called Hamlin University. And I did wind up majoring in, my main major was in religion. And I studied abroad a lot. I mean, I went to India, I went to Nepal, I went to Nigeria studying Western African religion and culture on a group program. I was doing um, ancient Hinduism and how Buddhism came out of that. It was interesting to me and I loved finding out things and I joined like interfaith dialogue groups in the Twin Cities at the time. It was not something that I wanted to go on and get a PhD in. At the time, the options were go on and get a, a doctorate degree in it or get a practical degree in something else or go to rabbinical school. I did interview some women about that and it wasn't for me. I didn't really know why, but it just didn't seem to sit with me and where I was holding. So I didn't continue pursuing it, although I kept my, my interest in Judaism and in learning about religion. So I'm thinking about what you just described about traveling abroad and being exposed to all these different religions and beliefs. So at that point in your life, are you most interested in just understanding all these different religions, what they believe, where everything came from, compared to deep diving on Judaism specifically? Yeah, I think I was. I think I was also trying to figure out how we make peace inside ourselves. So every religion has their own answers for finding peace in difficult times. And I just hadn't been exposed enough to how Judaism does that at the time. So studying different, you know, mindfulness meditation or looking at other religions and how they did it, I was still you know, in the American style, buffet style of religion, trying to cobble together my own buffet meal of what worked for me. And it wasn't until I got a little older that I started finding out more of the ichor of the matter, the, uh, the kernel of answering those specific questions in Judaism. And it wasn't that I hadn't had hard times when I was younger. I had, but I hadn't answered it through my Judaism in the way that I was able to as I got older. Now, you also talked about career-wise, you were at this crossroads of continuing down the religious path, you know, academically versus doing something more practical. So how did you ultimately make a decision of, of what to do? I think you said you didn't want to go further on the religious stuff. So did you pick something practical or what happened next? Yeah, so I, since I had studied abroad and I'd even done some volunteer work abroad in Calcutta and elsewhere, I thought I would go into public health. Now, again, my father's main job was um, in something with science and genetic engineering, but he was a consultant on the Board on Science and Technology and Agriculture and Development and um, National Academy of Sciences, and he would travel overseas for different aid groups, USAID, things like that. Not so much, but enough that I was intrigued and influenced by that as well. And I thought, oh, public health. Well, I've worked in a street clinic in Calcutta. I had done volunteers for Israel in a hospital in Hedera. Yeah, I'll go into public health. Now, mind you, Jeff, I was terrible in math and science. I mean, terrible. But I did well in college. I applied to the School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine at Tulane. And bless their hearts, I don't know why, but they accepted me, <laughs> even though I had no background in it, except for this international volunteer experience. And having done some volunteer work growing up, I you know, worked at a nursing home with people who had Huntington's and things like that for many years. And I was accepted. 
And my first semester in epidemiology and biostatistics, I thought I was like, I thought it was like Kiswahili. Like I had no idea what they were talking about. I had no idea how to do this. And I had moved myself across the country to New Orleans. And I liked New Orleans, but it had been a big change. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, what am I going to do now? And so after getting over feeling like I'd fallen on my face, I picked myself up and took some time, got a good job and applied to library and information science school to get a master's in an MLIS, a master's in library and information science at Louisiana State University. I'd always loved looking things up and research. And again, remember this was pre-Google, pre-most of the internet. There was the backbones of the internet, but not so much more at that time. And I loved it. It was really good for somebody who always liked to explore things and find out more about things and find out the why of things dovetailed nicely. And I got that master's degree there. So this paints a really nice picture of what's going on for you career-wise. Let's bring Judaism into this stage of your life now. Like, What role is it playing you know, in New Orleans as you think about the next step? This is also a time people start dating. Are you thinking about, oh, I want to start dating Jewish guys? Like, What role is Judaism overall playing as your career is coming into focus? So to backtrack just a tiny bit, when we were growing up in our house, my parents had a rule you can't date non-Jewish people. When you live on our house, you're not allowed to date non-Jews. You can have them as friends, that's all well and good, but you can't date them. You know, I wasn't dating so much in high school, but okay, fine. So by the time I got to graduate school in Louisiana, I would go to Jewish singles events in New Orleans. And I also had belonged to the Hillel at LSU. Now I was actually living in New Orleans, LSU was in Baton Rouge. But I would commute up a few days a week, and I, again, was working in the New Orleans area. And I remember I went to, you know, like the matzah ball dances or other Jewish mixers, Jewish singles mixers, and had a Jewish, a a guy that I dated for a few years who was Jewish. And eventually, I left for a job in Florida, and I, I think it was sort of where I started formally realizing that maybe if I was going to date seriously, they had to be Jewish people because I'd have more in common values wise. And it just was more of a, a similar understanding. Our parents might've had similar experiences. It wasn't a formal, like I'm going to settle down and get married right now, but it was going on the track of how can I streamline my values with my relationship? Now, from everything you've said in your story so far, If you had told me that you did marry a Jewish guy, but you lived conservative, reformed, secular Jewish life, it would make a lot of sense. It just seems like how your story is setting up. But given that this is Saturday to Shabbos, there's going to be some turning point that Judaism takes like a much more prominent role in your life. Are you able to pinpoint like when it started to become more substantial for you? Is is this around the time period where that happens? No, actually, it was important to me, but... After I left New Orleans, I moved to Florida, to South Florida. There were no jobs at the time for what I trained in, in New Orleans. And I moved to South Florida and I got a job in news media as a news media researcher. And I was working a ton and it was a very depressing job. You know, the news is always, as you know, the latest awful thing in the world, the latest terrible event, or it's trying to scoop the competition on something. That's generally the nature of media of any type, most types rather. And my way out of the newsroom and out of the news research 
department was that every Friday I needed to go to services. So I went to Kabbalat Shabbat every Friday. And it was a nice community. And I started realizing that that was my community. Not just the Friday night services at the conservative shul, uh, you know, on the island of Palm Beach, but that was more important to me. And it was a respite. And it, that was the connection. It was a respite from the stress of a ton of hours and the latest, again, awful thing that was going on. And it was at that time that I realized, wait a minute, I don't want to be doing this with my life. And I had always wanted to do the Peace Corps, and I was still single. And I'd had one string of not great dates after another. And I thought, well, if I don't do it now, I'm not getting any younger. And at some point, I'm going to get married. It's going to be really hard to do this. And I went into the Peace Corps. So again, that's two more years overseas. And I was in a remote island country in the Central Pacific, living in a stick hut with no running water or electricity, doing public health education. Didn't need that master's degree that I thought I was going to get earlier. I just like totally did not need the library science degree either. But it's a great experience. And while I was there, every Friday, I would light candles on the floor of my stick hut so I didn't burn it down. And it became important to me. And I would sit in my hammock and read one of the prayer books that I had. And the people there, it's a small Micronesian country. All the different Christian missionaries had come to their islands. And they would usually say to me, Tera'am Aro, what is your religion? And I'd say, to Yudaya the Jewish religion. And they'd say, well, when are your missionaries coming? And I'd look at them and I'd say, we don't do that. And they'd say, well, how's it going to survive? And I'd say, well, it hasn't been a problem. We've survived and we've survived a lot of awful things as well as good things. We've survived for thousands of years. And most of them were familiar with what they call the Old Testament. So I came back after two years and when I had been in library science school years earlier, I had done an internship here in Los Angeles at what was then the Jewish Community Library of Los Angeles. And I'd kept in touch with one of the people who worked at that library at the time. It was, at the time, one of the nation's only free public Jewish libraries, very large, maybe 25,000 volumes or so. And I'd kept in touch with her. When I came back, I knew I didn't want to go back into news research. I didn't want to go back into the news and my former colleague or a friend who I'd stayed in touch with, she told me that they were going to be opening in a new location with a specific children's division. And I applied. About five and a half or six months later, I moved out here. And I started as the children's librarian at the what was then the children's division of the Jewish Community Library of Los Angeles. And that was where I really started my journey in earnest towards becoming Shabbos observant. And it took a while, but that library was such a blessing in my life because since it was a public library, there were people from all walks of Judaism, everyone from the men in Strimals and the Hasidic Shecheder to the you know, Reconstructionist woman rabbi and the people who would run gons out of their house for little kids or the religious school teachers, or the Hebrew school teachers, families, Balei Tshuva, there were parenting books, there was an adult division upstairs, and all these people started coming in, and I was very intrigued. And things would cross my desk. 
children's books and learning and education type books, think like Toro Musora or any other type of publisher that does educational type books, you know, if you're a person who is already interested in libraries and learning and books, you're just going to eat it up. So that was great. Someone who's working in a library who clearly has this love of reading, gathering information, learning about new things, it makes total sense to me that you would be intrigued by all the different types of Jewish people coming into the library. So how did it go from an interest in the research and the learning to maybe there's something here that I might like living this way? So I started learning one-on-one with a woman who was a teacher in one of the Chabad schools locally. And I started learning one-on-one with her. I think we were first starting to learn about some beginning Hasidic concepts and some things about kosher. Mind you, I did not have a kosher kitchen at the time. And I started getting invited to other people's homes for Shabbos dinner or for lunch or to stay. And I started then going to other classes on um, Navi. And I joined a Torah study group. So every Tuesday morning, there were a bunch of ladies. Now, these ladies were from different backgrounds in Judaism, different walks of Judaism, so to speak. But every week we would learn the Parsha. And I was still learning with different people. And then somewhere along the way, a few more years, I remember my, one of my family members saying to me, are there only Orthodox people who go to this library? Because you only talk about them. <laughs> I wasn't saying anything bad about anybody else, mind you. I wasn't saying anything bad about anybody, but I just remember thinking that was more intriguing to me. Somewhere around that time, I also joined Partners in Torah, and I got a partner in Torah who was in Lakewood and who I'm still friends with. Um, We don't learn together, but for many years we learned every Monday, and we would learn the davening, morning brachas, and I remember when we was learning with Adina that at some point in almost every prayer, I would be like, I know until a certain point, and then it would stop. I knew half, or I knew three quarters of something, and she'd be like, yeah, you're doing great. I'm like, yeah, I know this part. And then it would come to a word that I had no idea, and I must have gotten the abridged version, which I had gotten the abridged version. I just didn't know that. So then we would, you know, like, plunge into the rest, and that took a lot longer. I'm still not spectacular reading without Nikudot. So I did have a sitter with Nikudos, and, you know, bit by bit, you know, you... uh sort of like anything big in life, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. And slowly, slowly, you you take things on when you're ready to. At the time, I was still dating Jewish people and growing. I'm thinking about dating at that time period while you're personally growing. If people are suggesting matches for you, I have a great guy you should meet, what kind of person religiously would you be seeking? Like you're clearly starting to go on this path towards wanting more. Maybe you don't know exactly what the more is going to be. So what kind of people are you dating and how do you figure out finding someone maybe who wants to grow with you or maybe is even further along and you could catch up to them? Where, where are you at in the whole dating world at that point? Good question. Most of why it didn't work out was because I was on a different place than they were at or they were in a different place than me. A friend of mine told me to get an audience with the Pittsburgher Rebbe, Allah Shalom, and he came in town and I had an audience with him and he said... You're not Milchig and you're not Fleischich. You can't find somebody until you settle on your path of where you are. And there was a lot there were a lot of funding issues with the library that I was working on and there were they were trying to figure out if the parent body was going to reallocate funds to something else and not have a library, which was a real Shonda in the community because it was a wonderful thing, but 
it was part of what was supposed to happen, I guess. And I remember I had a friend who worked in a different part of that building for a different agency, part of the parent organization, but in a different capacity. I remember talking to her and say, I really want to try and find a place that I have like a place to live or stay in the neighborhood in one of the more religious neighborhoods in LA because I lived in Santa Monica and there's a small community but it's not the same as either in La Brea or in Pico and she and her husband at the time lived in La Brea area and the Hashkaha practice on that was that she filed it away in her mental you know file cabinet and about a month later or maybe two months later they had a border in their back house and that person was leaving and it just so happened that I was looking for something and they offered for me to stay there whenever I wanted to stay in the neighborhood as a Shabbos apartment and no charge whenever I wanted any Shabbos it had its separate entrance and a little refrigerator and its own bathroom and I would spend some part of most Shabbos with them and I went a few times a month I had a Shabbos apartment and then I was able to go and spend time in the neighborhood seeing what shuls really fit for me and getting to know more that made it easier to also take on more of Shabbos because you were in the neighborhood more and you were not single out in the hinterlands of Santa Monica so the library closed and it was a big thing in the community that this library was closing and we used to do large-scale family events on Sundays so during the week I would do story times and mommy and me groups and all sorts of things and people would come in on Sundays you know we'd have puppet shows or we'd have musicians or large events for families and it happened to be that there was a event scheduled for the Sunday that was going to be our last day open to the public and I remember saying well we're gonna have a party at least to celebrate all the good years we had and now I had been the librarian there for you know one of the librarians but I was the children's librarian there for almost 13 years so I really had gotten to know many people in the community and we told everyone we were having a library's closing party and um, you know sort of a going away thing and to celebrate the community we gave out all sorts of books and prizes and things we had and I remember not so long after that I decided I wanted to have a party call it a celebrate life soiree and I had it at a friend's house and this was probably the first joy fest I had I had this party and I stood up and I said well I don't have a job I'm not really sure what I'm gonna do to pay rent in the next few months and I'm not dating anyone seriously I would had one date with my current husband my only husband rather <laughs> and um, I said but Hashem is good and this too will work out and we went around the room and everybody who was there told stories of Hushkaha Pratis. And about a month and a half later, I got a good job in a five-star library. Not a Jewish library, but a good public library. And three months later, I was engaged to my husband, Brian. Being positive in the face of like what was a big challenge at the time helped me to go into other things more positively. And that was helpful for me. And what was Brian's background compared to yours as you're talking about your own growth and you just talked about having access to a place you could stay for Shabbos, so clearly that can accelerate your growth. Where was he at at the time that you met and how did your growth continue as a couple? So there was a guy who was a library patron and he used to come into the library a lot with his young son. And he was a graphic artist and designer, but he also wrote and illustrated Jewish children's books. He used to come in and pick my brain. 
like Amy, would this kind of illustration be good for this type of publisher? And, you know, and I used to say things like, well, okay, if you're going to go with a high, you need to have tzitzis on the children's, you know, you know, on the boy children. And for this one, you know, this was more of a community publisher. And I knew a lot about what different types of Jewish publishers might accept in terms of illustrations or in terms of their content. And so he would pick my brain. And for a number of months, he would say things to me like, you know, I think I might know somebody for you. And I was like, I'm occupied in that area. I mean, it was, I don't like to lie. So it wasn't lying. I mean, if somebody wanted to think I was occupied dating somebody, they could have thought that, but I wasn't telling them that. I just, it was a way around like dealing with, you know, somebody who I didn't know that well saying, I think I know somebody for you. And maybe it was a moment of weakness, but he said, no, I think I really know somebody for you. I think this person and you might have a lot in common. I said, okay, fine, give him my number. And my husband called and this was, you know, after the library had closed and everything. And I remember thinking, wow. And we talked on the phone for maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And we had to set up a date for a little while later because I was going to Minnesota where I'm from to visit family. And then it was like Thanksgiving and Hanukkah that year. And I was coming back and we had to set up the date for when I came back. And we had one date and that date was supposed to be like going to the Malibu Pier. And I think we spent like six hours together at the Malibu Pier. And then we went to the fish grill and that fish grill had had some emergency in their kitchen. So they had to close down and we had to go to another one. We closed down the place just talking. And we closed down a lot of restaurants in LA by just talking, you know, for a long time. And at the point that I met him, he had been religious for quite a while. He'd been divorced for a while with three children who were in Jewish schools in LA and whom I actually knew because they had come into the library with their mother at the time. I didn't know them well, but I, I knew them. And um, he was living in the La Brea area near where my Shabbos apartment was. And we knew a number of people in common. So we dated and eventually got married. Do you ever think about that moment when you you kept getting these requests from this guy to set you up? He could have easily, after mentioning it six times, seven times, eight times, been like, all right, I get the message. I'm not going to bring this guy up anymore. Do you ever think about like why was there that persistence from him that eventually led to it happening? He himself has set up maybe... Well, at the time of us, we were the third couple that he'd actually set up that got engaged and married. So he obviously had a good track record. And I think there's some saying that says if you make three shidduchim, you uh, get entrance to Gan Eden or something. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. It was just Hashkaha Pratis. He asked at the right time, and I was open to it, and yeah. But then you also mentioned that he has three children from a previous marriage, so they're as happy as you are, there's also this issue of trying to like blend the families and figure out boundaries and everything like that. So how did you find like a, a good place in terms of moving forward as a couple and also respecting what he had before he met you? It's always a dance to try your best. And everyone has to find their way with that. So you talk to your Rav and you get some, you know, outside thoughtful, considerate advice and you see what works for you. All three of my stepchildren live in Israel now, two of whom are married, and Baruch Hashem, my husband and I are have a good relationship with them, and it just is a try your best. It is not easy, but you'll figure out what works for you. 
there's one more area we didn't get to discuss, which I mentioned in the introduction. I used this phrase, joy quotient. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about how that concept came about, how that led to some of the work that you're doing now. So I am not somebody who defaults to joy easily. Like my husband wakes up and is singing like Beatles songs or very rah-rah. I mean, that that's great. I admire that. I know a rabbi who once got a parking ticket because his car had died on the side of the road and, you know, the meter maid didn't want to hear the story and gave them a ticket and they got out of the car and danced because that was where they were supposed to be and that was exactly what it was supposed to be. I would not be that person. I mean, I should be that person. I would like to be that person, but I'm not that person. It's really great. I admire it, but I have to work on this. So each time something big happened in life, I would call together my friends and find a way to celebrate. Not like college kids partying, more like, you know, I'd have like a theme, like a gratitude and joy theme, or I'd make a happiness room, um, which is a multi-sensory type space where you can explore different ways to get into happiness. We'd have a card writing and letter writing party to bring other people joy. I'd ask people to come speak and pay speakers to come talk to just like inspire people because I felt like if I stayed in my own eh, space of wallow, it wasn't going to help me. And I, along the way, realized that, wow, other people are getting something out of this too. That inspired me further. I started realizing that I was doing that and I was also teaching workshops. I would teach, I still teach crafting workshops and writing workshops throughout greater LA and then online. And I started combining them with things for joy. I taught writing workshops. I got a second master's while I was working at that library in creative writing. I started teaching workshops on finding and creating joy in your life. And I started doing this with parties and creating events and crafting events and other things and people started coming and enjoying it. Along the way it gave me a lot of chizuk. It was not to say that you had to be happy because of something not good that happened, but it was to say how can I find my inner light and let it shine forth even in the midst of this. And that was very hard work for me and it still is often. We're doing this shortly, this podcast shortly after the terrible tragedies of what has been happening in Israel. And I found myself the last week trying to figure out, okay, when can I create a gathering for women? And what can I do that will give chizuk? And also, I need to be disciplined to work on this book about choosing joy. There's a book I'm working on that is about choosing joy when it's not your default. Because my guess is I'm not the only one who wakes up not rah-rah, and who needs to up their joy quotient a little bit in life. And by joy, I mean it could be happiness or calm or being more in the flow. It's just anything that's the opposite of what I call Team YH, which is Team Yetzirah, which usually sits on many of our shoulders and tries to get us down. And, you know, the more I win one for Team uh, the other side, the more good they'll be in the world. So that's where I'm coming from with that. I was going to ask you this as a last question because everything you're saying reminds me of what I saw happen on Simchas Torah where there were a bunch of people who said how can you dance at a time like this like I just I'm not in the space to do anything festive I don't feel the joy and then there were a lot of other people who said no we have to dance twice as hard with twice as much joy because I need to show that what's going on there is not going to get me down 
So who better to ask than you, Amy, when people are trying to nurture that joy quotient and they're having reactions to what's going on around them through the news, how do you still find that light in these kind of situations? Well, I think the light looks different in these kinds of situations. It's like the person who says, no, I think we still need to dance. It would not be a natural response to dance. Even that person who said, no, I think we need to dance still. It's not the first response. It's spending time taking mental health breaks away from the media or social media. It's doing things that, you know, you've seen a a huge outpouring of people doing chesed in the Jewish community in the past two weeks. We were already known for trying to do more chesed and acts of kindness and giving tzedakah, but you've seen even more. And banding together and doing more of what will bring both nurturing and kindness and support and love to other Jews does bring more light. That increases joy. It's a beautiful message to end on and just something that I think so many of us need to hear right now with everything that's going on. So Amy, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.